Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 98. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me today in the studio, we have another guest, Megan Carr. Hi, Kip. Thanks for having me here. It's great to have you on. And today, as the title of the episode would suggest, we are going to be discussing Broadway's latest and most popular musical, Hamilton, which is doing tremendously well in terms of ticket sales, merchandise sales. The album has sold tremendously well and is receiving numerous accolades, as is the show in various award ceremonies. But Hamilton is also subject to certain criticism, which we will get into in this discussion. And one of the reasons I wanted to discuss this with you is that, first, you introduced me to the soundtrack, and neither of us, at this point in time of recording, have seen the musical. And secondly, your statements to me have demonstrated an understanding of the show and a lot of the mechanics at work. And whether you would admit that or not, I respect your opinions on various songs and details surrounding Hamilton, and of course, its writer and composer, Lin-Manuel Miranda. So to begin... Would you describe your introduction to the show and what that experience was like, what stood out to you, and in terms of the soundtrack and composition, what made you a fan? Thanks for asking. It was actually my roommate who introduced me to the show right before Thanksgiving or so. And I think it was really just starting to blow up. And I think that's how she heard of it on uh, Tumblr and World of Fandoms. Another friend of mine had actually seen it over the summer in New York City doing an internship and mentioned it to me and I didn't really think twice about it and just said he saw a really good show. But it was my roommate who was listening to this like many Friday nights in a row and uh, a few of our friends would come over and they'd be hanging out and they'd be working and just playing the soundtrack on repeat in the background. Also, it would just be playing and it was like she was watching a TV show. It has your full attention, which isn't something that I usually do with music, both maybe a matter of time and my own inability to like focus and appreciate in that way that I've actually come to do with the soundtrack or just listen to it while I'm walking around. But yeah, she was listening to it a lot. And it seemed that almost every time I was walking in the room, it was the Skylar sisters that was playing or I just noticed because it's a very standout song. But I remember over Thanksgiving break when I wasn't around my roommate and I wasn't automatically being exposed to it and practically forced to listen to it all the time. I listened to it on my own and I didn't start by actually seeking out the story and listening to an order, but I picked a few songs that were very entertaining and very upbeat and would just work out to them or I played them for other people even though I didn't even really appreciate the musical as a whole yet. And it actually definitely took a few weeks for me to listen to everything in order because I think it was wait for it that I finally listened to and was like, hmm, I want to actually know the story and understand the characters. And with the mention of Wait For It and various other individual songs that we might mention in this conversation, we will attach links, likely YouTube links, for our listeners to check out would they like to learn more about the soundtrack and hear the songs that have impacted us. And it's very interesting to hear about your experience with the soundtrack because mine has been largely different. You showed me the song The Schuyler Sisters as I was driving you to the airport around Thanksgiving in 2015. And I remember appreciating the creativity that you also saw in the song and is present throughout the entire musical. Miranda composes musically impressive songs, but lyrically very rich songs that detail not only a lot about our nation's history, but Alexander Hamilton's perspective on various significant events during the birth of the United States as a nation. 
And I was definitely impressed at the time, but for whatever reason, it slipped my mind and I didn't return to it until earlier this year, around February or March, approaching spring break for us. And I returned to the soundtrack and did not start in order, but instead found various tracks, one of my favorites being Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story at the very end of the musical. And I think you and I have a very different relationship to the soundtrack, at least as you had discussed before recording right now, because I've actually preferred many of the somber, more dramatic, and maybe even more grim songs towards the end of the soundtrack and also throughout the soundtrack, because its relationship to my life as a college senior, one, leaving a place that I love, and two, thinking about my role as an individual, my purpose going forward, and various ambitions, although they are not necessarily parallel or congruent with Hamilton's, that I feel some melodramatic connection to this tragic figure in the musical who isn't necessarily an accurate depiction of Alexander Hamilton, as various critics have said, but the very profound system of emotions captured within these songs and the very well-acted singing that we hear in any of these tracks sung by the original Broadway cast convey an impressive range of emotions from courage to sorrow to more nuanced feelings of betrayal and regret, all of which are enticing to me as a lover of stories and someone who enjoys the drama contained within any form of theater. Yeah, you mentioned really enjoying the latter half of the musical, which I don't often listen to, I don't know, the last five songs unless I'm already feeling pretty down. I think what I like, I don't necessarily need like the Skylar sisters for the upbeat attitude, but my favorite song is probably Dear Theodosia. It's the only song where Burr and Hamilton have this like really true parallel between them is what I feel. There are a lot of there are a lot of different, obviously, similarities. And there's like nonstop where they're both like working in a law office next to each other. But this is the only parallel that actually signals a sort of equality or sort of equity between them of them actually being in the same moment on the same step and seeing the same thing. It's not objectively happy and upbeat necessarily, but it's very hopeful. It's historical, but here's also what's so funny is, and what was so brilliant about what Lynn did, is that he picked a story that still people didn't know and didn't really care about. You know, if you made, let's say, well, people did, there was a movie called Lincoln. Everyone knew how it ended. If you make a lot of like historical dramas, whether for entertainment value or to educate or both or to raise a lot of modern social issues, which Lynn does, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, but that there's not really that factor of your emotions and your hope and your surprise just like going up and down and that investment in the character. Whereas in Hamilton, you know, people didn't know, you know, you didn't necessarily know what happened. And there was like throughout the first half of the musical, there is kind of a lot of hope and excitement. You're just like really invested in this way. And then you finish and you see how everything turns out, which simultaneously ends up explaining why you know so little. But yeah, I like to listen to the soundtracks that are still kind of hopeful. You empathize again with the protagonist that by the end, maybe you don't empathize with as much. I think that's very well said. And perhaps empathy is one of the reasons that I do appreciate the soundtrack on the level that I do, because various characters will sing their perspective. And so you hear from Alexander's wife, Eliza, and in my opinion, his would-be wife, Angelica, who is actually Eliza's sister of the Schuyler sisters that we'd mentioned earlier. 
And while the end of the play is tragic for Alexander's death, there are also notes of optimism in what he could have accomplished and the untapped ambition that Hamilton still possessed, but also the damage he had done in some of the choices that he made and some of the things that he did not do, all of which feels relatable in many ways. Again, for me as someone who was leaving college, there was this air of finality to my life at that time that I feel allowed me to relate to the soundtrack, not in a more profound way, but in a very specific way. And furthermore, as a somewhat patriotic love letter, I feel the musical captures in many ways America at its most patriotic during the Revolutionary War when I don't think anyone knew or could have what the country would become But the fight, at least as we have all characterized it in history, was one not only for survival, but existential declaration, what we are going to be, what we truly believe. And make no mistake, our country's had numerous errors from the start and very problematic issues that also are not thoroughly examined in Hamilton, at least as far as I can tell, and that is a shortcoming of the musical. And so without further ado... Of the critical resources that you and I looked through preparing for this episode, how do you feel about different critical stances on Hamilton? You said a lot of things there that got me thinking, because one, you mentioned it as a patriotic musical or patriotic love letter, which isn't something we've really talked about. And even the sources didn't touch on a whole lot, even though it's called Hamilton, an American musical, which I think is really interesting. I think of this a lot being someone who studies history and who has a specific like focus and interest in revolutions and political change, fighting repression, and that it does show what well, you said, maybe America when it was its most patriotic at the time of the revolution. I wonder if people would agree with that. And what's so interesting is the way that we currently look at political change around the world and wonder how people are messing up their lives in their countries so much. When we look at America was founded in this armed struggle. And I do wonder how this musical affects the way we think about that, because there are only really a few songs that portray how lamentable it is and how sad and how harsh it is the war and the revolution itself, because honestly, the war is a fairly small part of it. It's the greater political rhetoric surrounding the revolution and the birth of a country. There's only a few songs that actually encounter fighting. And I mean, they kind of sound like a rodeo, like that's not particularly tragic. But I do think it's interesting. And in a way, I really like that it's called an American musical. And this will get us back to the casting because they did pick this very diverse cast. And we can talk about whether or not it was really race blind or what that even means in this context. But calling it an American musical and portraying it in the way he did, I think, is pretty powerful. Powerful for the fact that this is the American musical that is filled with hip hop and armed struggle and adultery and things like that, when actually I do think that is what it is. So you asked about critical response and reading through the articles and a lot some scholarly essays by historians, which I think was great that what we were reading was not theater critics. And honestly, it doesn't seem like there has been that much theatrical critique of this. And even all these historians who saw it said, you know, I loved it. And reading them, I definitely didn't want to agree with a lot of the critique, but some of it is quite valid. And so one of the main points that a professor of history made was that while Lin-Manuel Miranda included this diversity in the casting, that there are no historical people of color portrayed. 
And in this look at the revolution that is supposed to be sort of fresh, new, but also exposing, the very premise of the musical is highlighting this historical figure that wasn't largely highlighted. It does seem problematic that they didn't highlight any Black people who participated in the revolution. And a few good examples were that Hercules Mulligan, who's one of like the Fab Four in the musical, in all of his work spying on the British government, his slave Cato was literally right there. And there's even the historical evidence to draw upon because Lynn did work with an actual historian to write all of this for six years or so. Yeah, and that they didn't include that character. And the only person of color who is portrayed is Sally Hemings, who was Thomas Jefferson's slave that he continually raped and had a child with and refused to even free his own descendants. And the critique also addresses that this Thomas Jefferson is portrayed as perhaps not the most villainous compared to Aaron Burr, but maybe like the most morally decrepit in that he stands for something, the things he stands for are so wrong, whereas Aaron Burr stands for nothing. And what's so fascinating is that we see in our protagonist, Hamilton, that he prefers the former. He prefers Jefferson, who stands for something decrepit, than someone who stands for nothing, which perhaps also is a somewhat patriotic quality. I believe that's a fair assessment, and it is interesting to bring up Jefferson in relation to slavery because, as a nation, we have a very specific rhetoric and narrative regarding slavery. One, that it is morally wrong, but two, there are certain white figures in our nation's history who are conspicuously left out of the narrative of slavery and their role, their participation in slavery. For example, George Washington, who owns slaves, is not targeted as a slave owner in the musical, which is very intriguing to me because we do hold him to be this reverent and almost godlike figure in the founding of our nation. When I think for historical accuracy, you can admit that people did certain positive things to help found a democratic or other nation, but also bore certain flaws of the era that many people were of a certain very problematic mindset. And even Hamilton himself in the play is shown at points to be anti-slavery when many of the historical critics note that at one time, as he was from the Caribbean, he served on a slave ship in the region and therefore seems likely to have at least supported the institution at that time. And later, although he would not have owned slaves in America before the revolution, the historical detail there being that he would have been too poor at that point in his life to have owned slaves, and records of his life from around 1790 to 1803 show little to no political movement on his part against slavery, and when he did make such moves, Many historians reflect that it seems more out of practicality and certain beliefs about property and other American rights rather than a moral argument against the institution of slavery. And yet in the final song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, one of my favorites, his widow, Eliza, referring both to Hamilton and slavery, says, you could have done so much more, which paints him in a very particular way. And I have a number of thoughts about that because historical accuracy is absolutely important, but I'd like to know from your perspective if you think there are certain advantages to painting a tragic character like Hamilton as something that he is not. Does it go beyond literary inaccuracy and falsehood, and does it perhaps provide the audience, even if falsely so, with a heroic figure that they could aspire to emulate in certain ways? 
there seems to be historical ambiguity on the point, both in the way the musical takes a lot of liberty, no pun intended, in portraying him that way. And undoubtedly, they are inferring a lot from a little at times and that he made this statement once and they're going to really extrapolate from that. I also would say that he made certain statements at one point and that they're going to extrapolate a lot from those to make him into a more heroic character and more of an abolitionist. I also do feel that in some of the historical critiques, and obviously they know way more than you or I do about this, but I do feel that they're also making a lot of inferences and that there is a lot of ambiguity and that on both sides, liberty is being taken to portray what you want to see or what you don't want to see. Nonetheless, I see why there's a critique there. I see why it is viewed as dangerous and misleading. I think it's interesting what you were saying earlier about George Washington and the portrayal of him as a grandfather figure and, of course, completely ignoring the fact that he also owned slaves. And I think they talk about founder chic in a lot of these articles and the way we like to portray our founding fathers. It's really fascinating that there is so much romanticization and cover-up. Because in general, there can be someone that had a really horrible quality or they did a horrible thing. People, I mean, in our immediate lives and other historical figures, religious figures, and that we still don't toss out everything they said. That we still find a lot of ideals that Thomas Jefferson expressed to be very important. And I feel like this resistance in acknowledging some of the horrendous things they did in their own lives is much more reflective of our own modern guilt and our own inability to address that. And the fact that we in some ways feel incriminated and also maybe the modern relatability and the fact that there are still a lot of prominent figures in our society, whether it be in Hollywood or in politics or even among religious institutions that espouse ideas of racism and sexism and that we still revere these people even now. So yeah, the way that the musical deals with that is personally, I don't think that's surprising. I'd say it deals with it more than any textbook I saw in middle or high school, where it was probably said that when the Constitution was written, it mostly applied to men who held property and were white. But it was kind of addressed in that positive, here's what it did apply to and not all of the people that it didn't apply to. So again, I don't find this to be particularly shocking. I guess it's still disappointing. And I'm really struck there by your idea of modern guilt, because in many ways in calling certain figures the founding fathers of our nation, they are parental in a sense, if not biologically, ideologically, in what we have inherited from them. Not only our nation, which still grapples with various issues and is nowhere near perfect, but our political system and the ideals that many of us still live by are prominent reminders of what this era produced for America and honestly for an international world that interacts with America on a very frequent basis. And to clarify my earlier question about the inaccurate portrayals of Hamilton and other characters as well, I'm not encouraging historical erasure because there are very problematic issues of censorship and political withholding of certain information to keep certain groups of people or certain citizens ignorant, which I do not support. 
But I would also say that it is important to recognize the certain needs all of us have to aspire to something or to look for prominent, heroic, capable figures in our lives, not only as Americans looking at the American dream, something we should come back to, but as human beings trying to, I think, make ourselves better than we are to contribute something. And so I'm only saying that I think there is a gray area there between truth and falsehood where many of us, and I think almost all of us are guilty of this, try to make a narrative into something that fits into our understanding of the world, which I think is a very understandable mental process to undergo. As an example, my earlier description of my relationship to the soundtrack because of my emotional state as a graduating senior in college. I think there are certain emotional avenues with which we relate to various figures, be they historical or fictional in certain senses. And I would also say that it's very intriguing to me that this musical, which has grossed millions of dollars, is so powerful to many who have never seen it, that the auditory experience alone is so compelling that people like you or I and many others continue to listen to, to purchase these songs, and enjoy them with relative frequency. And as a quick aside, I'd love to know why you think that process is so prominent and at this point so ubiquitous with the popularity of Hamilton. That's an interesting question, and I think in a way it is a phenomenon, and I can't pinpoint all of the specifics. What is interesting to me is that it definitely appeals to a wide range of people. And I've told many people that I know to listen to it of various backgrounds and interest. And that while certain people have so much hesitancy, if you just tell them to listen to a musical, it might take them a few months, Kip included. But everyone who's actually listened to it has really enjoyed it, with the exception of my mother, who says it's just so loud. And I say that's not a quality of the musical. You can turn it down. But that it appeals to this wide range of people. I think in part the diversity and musical styles in it. It's so brilliantly written that you feel clever listening to it. You listen to these refrains come up again later in the musical in a way that almost always is intentionally getting in your mind and causing you to form a parallel with this earlier moment in history in Hamilton's life that is sort of mind-blowing and is very enticing and you just want to find more of that because there is so much nuance and detail. Also, at least to me, again, as someone who really likes history, the story is exceptional and interesting, both for the fact that it is one of those pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstrap stories, which has received a bit of criticism, and I think that's fair, but it is one of those stories. It is truly one of those histories that is how it went, and we love to hear that, and we love to believe it's true because it is mostly true. But I think it's so interesting. It's funny for how ridiculous. And also, I think that the characters as individuals are very fascinating. In a way, other than Eliza and Angelica, I would say they're kind of caricatures of themselves. That Burr and Lafayette and even George Washington, who is portrayed in this very heavenly father way that even he is kind of ridiculous and eventually he keeps calling Hamilton son and he has this patronizing tone and all of them are sort of extremes of themselves in a way that is very entertaining and causes you to form fairly strong opinions about them. I would say that the female characters in the show are kind of an exception to that 
And while historically they live fairly interesting lives, I think, and are exceptional as people, that their characters are much more in the gray area. Whereas with Burr and Hamilton, you see this black and white and that the musical is kind of full of sides and these extreme choices, whereas the sisters, not so much. And as one of the critiques said, the musical doesn't pass the Bechdel test, not even close, which entails two female characters having a conversation with each other that's not about a man. And I really like the Schuyler Sisters, and it's a song that I think entices a lot of people into it. And I think that in the exposition of the show, you get a feel for the characters and the sisters' nuance in that part. But even there, it's still sort of centered around men, and it's all sort of relative to that. And even Angelica showed to be very intelligent and independent and strong-willed, but there is an awareness that that can only happen or be shown or get anywhere through a man, which I can't say isn't like very historically influenced and perhaps accurate in some ways. But here's the thing is even as far as actions go and as far as partaking in a society, yes, women have always been limited by men. But as far as actual depth of a character, because it's based off of real person, of course, women aren't limited by men. Of course, women are just as interesting and have just as much depth. Now, the musical is kind of based off of these grand actions, and now Hamilton did this, now he was in this court case, now he published this pamphlet. But I do think it's interesting that even within the interpersonal relationships, that Angelica is not defined by that much more than not ending up marrying the person she wanted to be with, and Eliza isn't really portrayed as much more than being helplessly in love being very forgiving, being kind to others, and being a good mother. But in general, there's very little of an essence of those characters shown through anything that's not related to Hamilton. And perhaps we see that with some of the male characters. I mean, he is the protagonist, but that everyone else does seem to stand on their own a little bit more. Would you agree? I would, based on what I've listened to. And I think as with any cultural text or item in media, it is worth revisiting to see if you have new opinions, especially after discussing with others who might have different perspectives. And as we'd mentioned before, the musical is critiqued for its lack of portrayals of people of color during this era, despite the fact that the cast is primarily people of color. And I would really like to know what you thought about those criticisms. And also, in our current era, where race is still an absolutely predominant issue that our country needs to resolve and discuss more thoroughly, I feel, how you feel Hamilton, as a 2015 musical, responds to contemporary American issues. This musical does a lot of interesting things with race, and I will say in response to a lot of the critiques, and I hate to use this argument because in general I would probably dispel it a little bit, but that they did a better job than most musicals because they actually have diversity. And then right there, that is something. So one thing that's interesting and that I feel like relates to modern commentary on race is John Lawrence, who again is portrayed by a person of color. In the second song of the musical, Aaron Burser, he says, I think the line is, I will pop chicka pop these cops till I'm free, or something like that. And he uses the word cops, which of course was not terminology in 1776. 
And I found that very interesting. But what I found fascinating about it is I couldn't tell if that part was disjointed and that sort of rhetoric was supposed to be coming from him as a person of color in the U.S. in 2016, or if there is this comparison to the revolutionaries to people of color in 2016. Because it kind of seems like they're making this general connection between basically facing oppression. You don't have representation. And I find that interesting and inaccurate that they're portraying the struggle in that way, because I do think that ignores a certain amount of privilege that was every bit there with these white men as we see it today, if not even more so. One thing that I found really interesting looking through the critiques is that they asked the man, again, another person of color who plays both Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette, how he felt about playing this slaveholder, the most notorious character in the musical, probably at least racially speaking. And I'm not sure if he fully answered, but he said, you know, this is me owning my country's history as well. It's every bit mine as it is yours. And I think that's interesting. And perhaps going back to what we talked about in the beginning and this idea of an American musical, I rather like the casting choices and that these powerful historical figures, white however they may be, are being given to a quite diverse cast. There are some white characters, there are many people of color that vary in ethnicity, and I like that this American narrative that, it's true, is owned by all of these people and has influenced all of their lives in different ways. I like how Lynn did that, and I think that is powerful, and I think that critiquing, as some of these articles do, critiquing a person of color for playing Thomas Jefferson seems wrong to me. It certainly seems within his prerogative if he wants to. And the idea that history can't be restated or viewed again or rethought is ludicrous. That's what we're constantly doing. And I do think, however flawed it is that this musical accomplishes that, it makes us rethink and that it has drawn so many different people in. And it's true that someone might get in their head, including, I mean, Lynn, when he talks about Alexander Hamilton, he does talk about him in a way that is very godlike and refers to him as like a father figure, someone he looks up to. And Yes, there probably is some danger and misleading people, but I think what's most important and impressive about the musical is just that history is getting rethought and considered and that its relevance to the current state of things in the U.S. is noticed, both in terms of how far we've come and how far we have not. I absolutely agree. And one detail I really loved in articles that we'd read notes that Lin Manuel Miranda wrote many of these songs because of his musical inspirations of hip-hop and R&B, and that he envisioned, as he was composing this musical, people of color as these singers or rappers. And there are some very impressive lyrical acrobatics, I would say, throughout the musical that I think are properly cast by people of color who have a direct tie to that musical culture. And not only the songs, but the culture of dance used in the musical is also reflective of the diverse cast, which I find very compelling. And as a more direct nod to contemporary issues in the U.S., during the song Yorktown, The World Turned Upside Down, Hamilton turns to Lafayette and the pair say, Immigrants, we get the job done. 
referring, of course, to the various factions and groups and nations that contributed to the rebellion of sorts, the Revolutionary War effort that eventually overthrew British presence in the American colonies. And I think that there is a very clear line between American history and current issues in our country, which is a relatively young nation in the span of human history. I've actually read that that line, immigrants, we get the job done. I don't know if you've noticed in the soundtrack after that, there's like a little instrumental pause before it shifts. And the pause wasn't originally there, but they added it because the first time they performed, there was a standing ovation the many times after that line and that it really resonated with the audience in New York. And I think, again, what is so cool about this is that in teaching history or showing history or dramatizing history, not just that the modern parallels are there, but that they don't go unnoticed. They are so present and they are so vibrant and sometimes troubling and that people notice and that they are that in tune with the current state of things, however good or bad they might be, and that they are becoming interested, at least in this history, or perhaps they always have been. And I think the fact that that is not lost in the audience, that is a wide range of people, is really interesting and wonderful. And it is crucial that we mention New York, where much of the musical is set and has a direct tie not only to the events in Hamilton, but to the events during the Revolutionary War era. And before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to our discussion? One thing that I would like people to think about that is fascinating to me is how much we like to see of ourselves or our interests, our friends, our families, our neighbors when we are learning about history. And one of the descriptions of the musical was America Then, played by America Now. And I think that's interesting. And again, like we said, this may or may not be accurate enough or helpful, but How does that help us connect and empathize and make us care? Because caring about our history, that is our collective history, whether or not we like it, it really matters. And what does that say about us? One other thing that I wonder is how much can we or should we compromise some accuracy in portrayal for the sake of representation when so much of our history has not been represented and so many people who are completely equal as human beings have not been allowed to, to quote the musical, be in the room when it happens. Is it okay to maybe compromise some accuracy because we've realized our faults in the past and how much of our country's history hasn't been representative and hasn't actually been for all of us? I'm on the same page, and I would like the audience to think about historical inaccuracies, and if they are portrayed in a spectacular or entertaining way, thereby grabbing audiences and captivating massive public attention, is it worth it if it is at the cost of certain factual information which is omitted or for certain reasons not discussed? And also, how does Hamilton operate not only as a musical, but as a commentary, a historical text, and also a contemporary text in criticism of the current United States? And of course, because our listeners are not only American and are certainly not white like you and I are, Megan, I would really love to know what different people think from around the world about the cast of Hamilton and its relationship to issues of race, both presently and, of course, historically. I'd really like to know what you've heard of this musical, if you enjoy the soundtrack or have plans to watch the actual show, 
and as a non-American, what your stance is on what's been said and what is being performed weekly to tremendous profit and praise. And of course, Megan, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on and having this discussion. It was great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Kip. Of course. But as ever, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback of any kind, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.